0: Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a daily program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. We're working our way through the two-year version of the RMM Scripture Reading Plan, and I'm your host and Bible guide, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to John chapter 13. We're now firmly inside the Book of Glory. I've mentioned several times the three sections that are traditionally understood to make up John's Gospel. The Book of Glory runs from chapter 13 through to chapter 21, and it shows us Jesus returning to the Father. Now, in a 15-minute program like this, we really can't enter into any sort of complicated discussion about this or that controversy. We, we normally try to stick to the middle ground and the consensus interpretations as much as possible. However, this chapter brings us into contact with a controversy that we can't entirely avoid. Scholars disagree among themselves as to whether John presents a different chronology of the Holy Week events than do the Synoptic Gospels. The Synoptic Gospels seem to show Jesus and his disciples eating the Passover together on Thursday night, Nisan 15, by the Jewish calendar, with then Jesus being arrested later that night and scourged and crucified the next day, what we call Good Friday. Some scholars, however, say that John presents a different chronology, basically backed up a day, in order to have the death of Jesus occurring at the time when the Passover lambs were being slaughtered. Some of those scholars think that John altered the chronology to make that point. Others think he just got it wrong, but many disagree with the essential premise. D.A. Carson, for example, says the solution that carries fewest difficulties argues that the synoptic chronology is correct, Jesus and his disciples did indeed eat a Passover meal on Thursday, the beginning of Nisan's 15. You have to remember, of course, uh, just to pause from the Carson quote, that Jewish days, Jewish calendar days were reckoned from the evening before at 6 p.m. to the evening after. So they would think of Friday as what we would think of as Thursday evening at 6 through to Friday evening at 6. So to carry on the quote, Thursday, the beginning of 15 Nisan. John's gospel, rightly interpreted, does not contradict this chronology in any of the seven verses alleged to do so. I'm inclined to agree with that interpretation, and we will make mention of several of those supposedly troublesome verses as we encounter them. Hear now the word of the Lord beginning at verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? Blessed are you if you do them. Now, in order to make sense of the story, we probably need to notice a shift in the way that John is ordering his material. In the book of Signs, John usually has Jesus present a sign and then follow that up with an explanatory discourse. So think of the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus did it and then spoke about its significance at some length. In the book of Glory, the order is reversed. Jesus gives a variety of discourses that serve to front load, you might say, the essential act of his death and resurrection. All of these discourses, this one here, the farewell discourse and his high priestly prayer, each of them prepares us to rightly understand the climactic event of Jesus' life and ministry. So we need to ask the question, how does the foot-washing discourse prepare us to understand the cross? Well, in the most obvious sense, it prepares us to see the cross as a means of spiritual cleansing. We travel through a dry and dusty world. We come into contact with all manner of defilement. And Jesus, humbly, tenderly, at great cost to himself, cares for us and cleanses us. He prepares us for the messianic feast. That is the most obvious meaning of the discourse. However, there is a secondary meaning. Jesus tells the disciples not just to understand this, but to imitate this, meaning that this act should also be understood as an example of the sort of humble, tender service that should characterize the Christian church. Verse 18, I'm not speaking of all of you, I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. It is amazing to think that Jesus washed Judas's feet. It's amazing to think that he shared the Passover with him, or at least a portion of it. That's amazing. And it is a reminder that there will always be people inside the covenant community, people who undertake the rituals of faith, people who are baptized, people who take communion, and yet people who do not truly belong to the Lord through faith. They have been here since the beginning, and they will be here until the very end. Verse 19, I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. There, there is an unbroken chain that stretches back from the authorized apostles to the person of the Lord Jesus to the Lord God Almighty himself. That is what Jesus is saying here. And that is why there is no such thing as a red-letter Christian. A red-letter Christian is someone who says that they want to hold only or primarily to the words of Jesus himself, the red letters. Such a person feels a freedom to reject the other parts of scripture, particularly in our day and age, the words of the apostles, which they deem to have less authority. But that isn't what Jesus says in the red letters. He says right here, if you don't accept the ones I send, that's the apostles, right? The word apostle means a person sent with authority. If you don't accept them, Jesus says, then you haven't accepted me. You can't claim to be particularly devoted to the words of Jesus if you are actively rejecting these particular words of Jesus. That just doesn't make any sense. That just looks like a flimsy attempt to avoid a distasteful doctrine. And in our day and age, that really does seem to be what is going on. You can't bypass the apostles to get to Jesus any more than you can bypass Jesus to get to God. Any attempt to do so is, by definition, less than Christian. Verse 21. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. Some thought that because Jesus had, or Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. Literally and figuratively, spiritually and actually, it was night. Verse 31, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified. just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Jesus says that the defining characteristic of his disciples will be their love for one another. Notice that. He doesn't say that they will know you are my disciples by your love for the world, although that's a very good thing. Just Notice that the emphasis is on our love for each other. I think that piece is missed by many modern-day evangelicals. We speak as if it is our social action in the world that will cause us to be noticed and credited as disciples of Christ. But good as that is, it is not what Jesus says. And it isn't what he says in the parable of the sheep and the goats either. You remember that one? He says that on the last day, the Son of Man will separate people as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. The sheep are the saved and the goats are the damned. We learn that at the end of the parable. But the key passage for our purposes is in the middle. Jesus says, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Matthew 25, 40. It isn't what you do for people generally that is taken as proof of faith. It is what you do for the family of Jesus specifically. And we know who that is because Jesus told us. He said, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking around at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers for whoever does the will of God. He is my brother and sister and mother. Mark 3, 33 to 35. And we also know what the will of God is, because Jesus told us that too. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So there you have it. The, the, the family of God is constituted by those who are doing the will of God. The will of God is for you to believe in the Son. All those who do the will of God are brother and sister and mother to Jesus. They are his family, and you show you belong to that family by loving and caring for the other members of it. That's not rocket science. That is the straightforward word of God. Verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Peter cannot follow Jesus now now he is weak he doesn't yet have the spirit and he doesn't yet understand all of who jesus is and all of what he will soon accomplish through his death and resurrection but he will follow afterward later having seen the resurrected christ having believed and having received the holy spirit he will indeed follow he will follow christ to the father through suffering pain and death jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith he goes first, and he knows the way home. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to Into the Word. If you're interested in additional resources, you can find those over at the website at www.intotheword.ca. You can also check us out on Facebook, and I hope that you do. We have a growing community of Bible readers over there, and we post daily encouragements and conversation starters. Hope to see you there. And I hope to see you again tomorrow right here for another episode of Into the Word.